0: Namaste, greetings from Pondicherry to all friends, fellow humans, because that's our first identity, colleagues, co-travellers, adventurers, co-sharers in earth's destiny, co-partners of God in the wonderful game of life, the delightful and dangerous game of life. Let me start with Three events of which we are aware of, we have read it, two in the scriptures and one which we have witnessed in the previous century, which give us a clue about the future. <clears throat> one event we know that way back, far back in time, when Lord Rama is wandering through the forest and it seems the worlds are collapsing, Ayudhya has collapsed, Because of an unprecedented event, in Kishkindha, the Middle Kingdoms, there is chaos going on. And in Lanka, a whole civilizational structure built upon wealth, prosperity, is suddenly lit up in flames. And all this is happening, and that whole world collapses. But one thing which remains... Throughout history and has endured the rub and change of time is, certain ideas and ideals established the first seeds of socialism, the first seeds of democracy, a spiritual socialism and spiritual democracy, whose foundation is laid in this wonderful land of Aryavarta by none less than Lord Rama himself. Thousands of years roll by, many things happen. Then we have another interesting event in the life of Shri Krishna. Another civilization is collapsing. The kings of Hastinapur, the kings of different kingdoms, the entire, we see these mighty kings, Kansa, Jarasandh, Hastinapur, those who could command great forces, veiled forces, even of nature they had mastered. And suddenly they all, under the wheel of crashing circumstances. But what survives again, the details, one may wonder whether there was actually someone called Arjuna with his Gandhi who could have, you know, any amount of celestial weapons. All this can be doubted by the speculative mind. But what cannot be doubted is the wonderful Gita which emerged through the ruins of that great war. Gita which will sustain humanity during the next three or four thousand years and continues to sustain that is the great gift which we find which emerges out of the ruins and ashes of the great kuru war and the establishment of india for the first time not india then but as Aryavart, as a kind of unified kingdom these two events are far back in history but there is another event of a very similar nature which probably after a thousand years we'll speak about That in 1914 to 1920, during this period, the world was seeing another great turmoil. The First World War, which was not the end, but the beginning of Second World War actually. And then we had a much worse pandemic, Spanish flu. And all over the world there was distrust, fear, suspicion, the the depression, recessions. Everything was collapsing. And during that moment, like Sri Krishna on the battlefield who did nothing and yet did everything, we see Sri sitting in his room and giving us glad tidings of the future. What those tidings are, they are there in Savitri, they are there in the life divine, in all his works. He was as if invoking the great dawn during the thick of night. We may pause a little here and wonder, is it possible to know the future even before we proceed? Is it just to be taken as a belief because Sri Aurobindo has written, yes, for those who have faith, yes, perfectly fine. But we are, you know, speaking also on a slightly academic platform. So, let me touch this question. Is there anything like foresight? Now, when we look at the purely material world, we can actually go back tens of thousands of years back and see that even the most material events, which seemed catastrophic, Carried within themselves as if, as if, because matter in all likelihood doesn't think, but it has a consciousness, seeds of the future and one great event which I can speak about is the birth of the moon because of earth being hit by a meteor. The wiping out of dinosaurs which gave rise to the possibility of enriched evolutionary journey upon earth. It's after that, during the collapse of the dinosaurian world, when earth was almost barren, we see when nature sprang back again, many, 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 many more varieties of flora and fauna came up. These are facts of, you know, history of uh, earth evolution. So, even in material life and biological life, and there are countless examples, let me not go into that, there is, as if there is something which has presaged an event and what was happening at a given point of time would reap its rich dividends thousands and thousands of years later which which would come then again we see With the coming of animals, animals also have a kind of instinctive awareness of foresight within their limits. You know, when the great tsunami was coming, it's well known how animals came to know about it. And uh, human beings were not aware with all our, you know, uh, great uh, capacities, science, technology. But certain animals, even certain tribals had moved on to highlands as if they were aware that something is going to happen. And with humans, again there is a need, now with animals it is instinctive, with human beings we have a speculative mind and there is a reason why the speculative mind, the imaginative mind, the mind which tries to project into the future, all this is given to us because we want to know what is going to happen in the future and naturally when we try to do it, we do it on the basis of the observed data of the surface play and project it in the future. It may or may not be right, but this need is there. Now, can we really know? There are several things which human beings have tried in the effort to know the future from astrology and calculation and this and that. Now, all these are actually more than predictive. They are basically noticed, have a notational value. They are like, they tell us, the, any pattern, actually, we can study patterns and based on patterns, we can almost surmise what is going to emerge. It's just a question of, you know, studying the patterns. But there is a way that we can really know the future. There is deep within the heart of creation, if we look at the long, long history over billions of years of the evolution taking place on earth, there is something called as prajna- Pragya prasrato purano The wisdom, the consciousness that has gone of old The will that is working in creation The real idea Shirobindo uses the word real idea Which is sown in the depths Now if we ask a farmer What is going to come out of the soil We don't see anything The farmer will say Well this is going to come out Because the seed has been sown Now, ancient Indian thought tells us that there is a seed of divinity which is sown in the soil of earth. This is a very, very beautiful, refreshing saying and every hope can spring just from this one. It means that uh, however worse a human being may be, individually and collectively, still because the seed of divinity is there, it is going to sprout forth. And very often that... Acute worsening of outer symptoms, the acute worsening of the soil, its hardening, the whole crust uh, are like the labour pains. You know, when the when do, does the doctor know that it's time for the baby to come out? When there are labour pains outwardly, if you look at the mother, she will say that, "Well, I am in deep pain," but she's also rejoicing. She's rejoicing because a new baby is going to come. So, Shurbindo from 1914 to 1920. Tuned himself. Mystics have this capacity to tune themselves to this deep wisdom which is working in nature. And if we can tune, we can know it. It's not something inaccessible. But we have to tune. We are too much caught up in surface events, therefore we cannot. And Sri and the mother who had tuned themselves completely to this deep will, deep wisdom that was working in the heart of nature, right when the world was in turmoil. In 1909, just before moving to Pondicherry, Sri made a very interesting prediction that a lot of revolutionary changes and turmoils are going to take place in the world. And amidst all these, India is going to become free now this 1909 of course there was turmoil world has always some kind of turmoil uh, has been there but from 1910 onwards if you see the two great wars the collapse of certain uh, groups of thought ideative collapses the collapse of certain systems of governance and we see amidst all this india actually becoming free but he was not just confined to the freedom of india freedom of india is a political event. But freedom of India is also a spiritual event. And this event has a bearing on the rest of the world. India needs to be free simply because India has a mission to fulfill. And that's what Shirobindo also foresaw, that political freedom of India must be followed up by another kind of freedom, the true Swaraj, which means the discovery of the true self within towards which India has to show the way. So, if mankind is outwardly free, everybody has, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of every kind, everything that we need, comfort, money, everything is provided at doorstep, food is provided, let's say there is no poverty, everything. But yet if man's basic uh, operating system is driven by the ego, so I use this word that what is collapsing now that we see is EOS, the ego operating system. A whole world had been constructed based on ego for the satisfaction of desires, with an idea that only we need roti kapda makan, with an idea that ultimately human comfort is the ultimate aim of life. Whether it be this kind of governance, that kind of society, we could not think beyond humanity. Humanity was the ultimate. And in the bargain, in the process, we are ignoring all other creatures upon earth. So, this system had to change. It is bound to change because earth is not just a human… I mean, much before human beings have come, there have been billions of… millions of creatures which have been inhabited, plants and trees and animals and they all have their own share in the entire ecosystem. We cannot shake one part of the chain without letting the whole system collapse. So EOS, ego operating system had to collapse and this is what we are witnessing today. But we need not be disheartened. Actually, it is, as we have seen in the previous great revolutions and wars and pandemics, something good that is going to uh, emerge. And that's what we see. Srivinder and the mother tuning themselves have given this foresight to us. But more than this foresight, foresight is not like, okay, fine, this is going to happen. It also inspires us to act in a certain way. Because it's not enough to say, okay, now something new and beautiful is going to come and we are very happy about it. There was a prediction when, you know, before uh, Lord Krishna is born. You know, in the thick of everything, when Kansa is celebrating that now I am almost the uncontested sovereign and all that I need is to form some good alliances… With Shishupal and, you know, uh, Rukmi and all these, Jarasand and all these people, I'll be the most powerful person on earth. And that's when there is a prediction that, look, Kansa, the, your own sister whom you are carrying on the chariot so happily will give birth to a son, a little baby. And this baby is going to bring your entire kingdom to collapse. Now this baby, we have heard this story of baby Krishna. Who is this baby Krishna born in the jail? This is another operating system. Baby Krishna is the soul of man born in the prison house of the ego. And whatever we may do, it is going to eventually bring out a new world order. So we see a very interesting, I mean, if you look at this world, there are two levels at which events take place and we'll come to that. So there is an outer level, the surface events. And we look at the surface events and we just wonder what's happening. We try to, you know, crash of, wheel of crashing circumstances. But there are also inner events which are going on, which go unnoticed. And they are the seeds of the future. We spoke about the inner event when the world came into existence, the real idea, but that may sound very abstract and philosophical. But let me take a very small example. When there is a sick person from the medical field, so I can take that example, when a person is sick and the doctors are seeing that there is fever, there is this, there is that problem, now this is an outer event. But there is another event which now doctors speak about, have been speaking about, which is of far greater importance, which goes unnoticed. And that event is the will to live. So, inside if there is a will to live, inside if there is a faith, then it has been seen that sooner or later, there is a bouncing back and there is a recovery. And this recovery is not just recovery back to status quo, but it also makes us immune for future attacks. This is something which is well known now. the inner events often are far greater importance. So we see this simultaneously. On the one hand, we see a surface uh, flurry of events of various kinds of things, as uh, rightly pointed out, the, the economic collapse, the collapse of a lot of industries and their consequent effect, the shift of many geopolitical shifts which are taking place, This great churning going on, scientific fields, every field, uh, and all these many things, which, you know, uh, is a very vast subject. But amidst all this churning, we also see certain seeds, the inner events which are running through. And these inner events can also, we can see that they are projecting onto the surface. For example, during these moments, to take just this virus um, epidemic, there is something very beautiful also happened. There are people, maybe few people, who reached out their hearts to those who were going through distress. It's very strange that these events suddenly bring humanity together. People who were seemingly oppressed, leading a life of nowhere, there are people who came out and they not only donated generously, they took active interest, active care to help them rehabilitate. And the process is going on. It's wonderful to link up humanity at different levels, to feel the sense of humanness. There is also a rethinking going on that, well… Is this the kind of life that we have been leading so far, the right life? So, we see that very, very slowly, there is a shift which is beginning to take place. There have been a lot of uh, talk about it. I mean, there is, of course, all talk about the outer event, the number, the deaths and, you know, uh, that we are aware of. But the inner event. Now, there has been talk, for example, that, you know, we are going to have many such, uh, these viruses, these pandemics. Is there a way that we can permanently block these infections? Well, there is a way and now the shift is taking place in medicine, a shift which is long overdue, from curing outwardly the diseases to finding inner ways of rediscovering, re-establishing harmony, of boosting our immunity, of you know, developing a strong and robust healthy system so that not only this but future viruses, future attacks we can get over. Of course, this is still a small voice, but often the small voice in time to come takes over the loud noises of the world which are driven still by market interest. So, this is one kind of voice which is emerging. Just like when the wars took place, we remember the two great wars. But what we don't remember is and we must remember is that during this period, there was an urge within nations that is there a way that we can find a checks and balancing system so that the world may not go to war again. And we see the birth of League of Nations in 1919, Abortive birth, all right. But then it came back because just like a child, uh, you know, in Indian system, we speak about rebirth. So, League of Nations was almost like an abortive birth. And, but it came back in its new avatar, the world, um, you know, United Nations organizations with many other branches. Now, we again see the UNO is beginning to die because it didn't serve its purpose. It was, you know, it's, it's a progress and evolution. And humanity is now looking for ways and means that they can connect going past organizations. Going past institutions, money, strangely, money is becoming so, so much internet-based. This is a new kind of currency and people don't know how to handle it. And of course, initially, like any other new thing, it it is, uh, you know, it, it has its rogue uses. But new ways of uh, bridging the gap, the cry of change. People come together and come together for a common cause and it doesn't matter that whether they belong to an organization or not. The governments are being pressurized by, by human beings and cutting across the globe. Now, rightly or wrongly is not the issue, but we see a kind of parallel system of governance which is coming up. And this parallel system of governance is as if compelling the governments to change and to shift. Now, this is something unprecedented. We see we have come a long way. In far back ancient time, there was the king and whatever the king said was the order. Then came democracy and all these things where there was the king but chosen by the people. But once chosen, it is he who decides. Then there is a new thing which is emerging that the masses are uprising and they are beginning to play a role, a determining factor in what the governments are going to decide. So as if the authority has shifted from the Nara to Narayana. If I put it like that, Narayana is the all-inhabiting Godhead in all human beings. So, it is a shift we can see like an undercurrent which is coming up. Another shift which I think is of, we, we, are, we are still not understanding its full import, but it speaks of a still deeper shift inside. Now, that shift started somewhere in the previous century, in I think it was 1900, if I am not mistaken, or in the first part of the previous century, when we we saw the voting rights of women being given in America. So, it's not only here, all over the world women were oppressed. But we see this uprising of women and gender equality. Now, it may look like, okay, what has gender equality got to do with uh, uh, you know the future? It has a lot to do with future. It means a resetting of the balance from the left hand analytical kind of society where there was no place for the heart. See, women are always associated with the intuitive heart and men with the left brain analytical side. And you know, the left and the right brain, if you want to put it that way, but I prefer the head and the heart. Uh, So, there is the shift taking place towards the heart. Humanity, if we look at last few hundred years because of the kind of, if we really look at the events, slavery, oppression, murderous instincts, um, mass executions, General Dyer and all these things, what is it? I mean, heartless, brutal cruelty, Nazis and at the end of the day when we look at, uh, I mean, masses of humanity were acting as if there was no heart. And even our modern education, since we are talking of the education, one of the things which is totally missing, I'm sure it's not in, in the esteemed institution, but totally missing, everything is brain-centered and very little heart-centered. It's as if humanity is badly needing faith and love. What is the place? You know, there is a place for faith in the heart. That light is so dark, now it has been occupied by fear. And what has love been occupied with? All kinds of passions, that's it There is no love Love, the softness, the tenderness, the care, the gentleness All those sides, the soft powers Now this again we see a shift Now people talk about soft powers they, you know, even in medicine, we don't, don't talk about heavy antibiotics which will kill something out of existence, soft powers, something which can boost us. So, there is a whole shift taking place, compassion, from a competitive governance to a more cooperative, co- corporate. I mean, where people come together and understand that compassion is a better way of governing, even in an industry and organization, than a brutal competition. Because competition in the end, ends up in a dark abyss. this is what we saw recently and still. Uh, we have not yet learned the lesson. If we don't allow everything around us to develop, then ultimately we will have just three or four players left in the field who will eat each other. This is how uh, you know, we, have, we are witnessing the collapse of many things. So there has to be a larger sense, a wider sense and this also we see the cry for world unity. All over the world because we realize that whatever organization we may form UNO or anything there must be the sense of a secret unity. Now this sense is coming up in strange ways. Science again in the previous century beautifully We suddenly advanced beyond the Newtonian model and entered into the quantum world where even the atoms are not fixed. There is a mass of electrical energies and suddenly we see the world connected as never before. So, the sense of connectedness that we feel and its offshoot. Now, 100 years back, we had people thinking or rather who could not think beyond the mohalla. I I, I mean, growing up in a village, I know the whole tendency was what I call is mohalla mentality. My mohalla, my... Uh, you know, little uh, place and that was everything. But today it, it is becoming irrelevant because sitting in a small room in a rural <coughs> setup, provided the media is not censored, let me put it uh, because, you know, there are countries where media is totally censored, provided the media is not censored, we have an access to the whole world. We are no more confined to a little cage or prison house. So, human consciousness is expanding. The mind is expanding beyond limits. So, people often, you know, complain that these days children are so restless, they don't have an attention span, they are constantly on WhatsApp, they are constantly on internet. Well, what is it a sign of? It is a sign that the mind is in a state of hyperactivity. So, what does hyperactivity indicate? Does it mean that everything is going to go from, uh, you know, bad to worse? Well, this is one kind of ignorant prediction. As I said, when child develops in the womb, it starts kicking about because it wants more space. So today's and the uterus has to enlarge to accommodate. The womb has to enlarge. So we see today children crying for more space. Parents, those days are gone when children could sleep in the same room with the parents. And sometimes on the same bed it's it you have to provide them more space more thought everything now this is this need for space is indicative to a expansion of consciousness and it's happening because there is an intense activity information overload from everywhere as a result of which of course there are better ways to expand but But we, we, you know, because nature operates in its own way A restless flurry of activities, inventions Things replaced, theories, gadgets Everything being replaced so fast That just to adapt to it The human mind has to work over time Now what is going to happen as a result of it? One day the womb will rupture The comfort zones are going to collapse Is it a bad event? Maybe for the womb, yes But for the mother, no Because the child is going to be born to a new light. And this is exactly what we are witnessing. Hundred years back, more than that, in 1912, 1918, mother speaks to the women in um, Japan and she says that we see nature once again entering into a restless mode. And this restless mode is indicative of a new birth which she wants to bring out. Before any new species emerges... There is a kind of restlessness of activity. She reiterates it much later. In 1960s, she says that there is right now a lot of hyperactivity and she uses the word hypertension. Of course, hypertension, not just the physical disease, but everywhere because of the way the world is functioning, there is a hypertension. And she says it is indicative of uh, something and that something is that the whole mental world will one day either collapse And out of this collapse, what is inside the womb will emerge and that is the new being which she spoke of as the spiritualization of humanity. Now this also we see and here we see India's crucial role. Among the different predictions that Sri made for the future, apart from India's freedom, rise of Asia, the cry towards world unity, he made a prediction that India is going to resume its true place. Actually, every nation must resume its true place. All the nations, now the shift is taking place in such a way that all the nations are being compelled to find their true place. Each nation indicates its sole power, its soul energy. But in India, we have preserved this. So... We know the famous Durga Stroth which Sri uh, spoke of and the mother reminded that each nation has a soul power which is a goddess and uh, India has kept this whole tradition alive and she is not just a physical entity, she is a goddess and this goddess is emerging shakti of a nation. And India's Shakti is spiritual. India represents spiritual strength and it is this that India brings into the world. And the more India awakens to its own um, uh, uh, spiritual destiny, the more the world is going to progress. Uh, I was very happy to hear um, Sir speak about uh, Professor Arnold Toynbee. And, and it's so true that, you know, he mentions that if, if India, um, you know, <laughs> the future of the world is, depends upon India… That it is India which is going to write the last chapter of the world's history. And why is that? If you really look look at the last few pages of the world history, what has been written on it? Even from the time that the renaissance of thought started, the rational age with Socrates from Plato and Aristotle and the whole renaissance of thought, rational thinking started in Europe. Where will it culminate? It will culminate in a spiritual thought In the awakening of intuition Whose birthplace is India and Asia So we see a whole cycle is returning The earliest dawns of humanity Where were they being played When when the world has forgotten its history Whether something was there or not there We do not know of course, people have a tendency to say that, you know, they were primitive tribes, this, that. And so, they feel that even in India, they were primitive human beings. But I feel so proud to belong to a civilization where 10,000 years back, my forefathers and ancestors and our forefathers and ancestors, what were they crying? Asado ma Tamsoma, gamya, tam soma gamya, gamya. That moment, they were thinking that there is a way that we can find to immortality and conquer death. Early dawns, And that record is preserved. So it's not speculation. It's based on historical evidence, factual evidence. When we read the Vedas and the Upanishads, till date they occupy and they enrich human thought. Great beings, intellectual beings, men of great caliber in different fields have appreciated. It's not a roadside uh, tabletop discussion where people say, oh, there is nothing in the Vedas or something in the Vedas. It's not that. All great minds have found something which is so beautiful. <clears throat> and we see, of course, Sri revealing the Vedas, these early mystics, where were they wandering, where were they sowing the seeds into the world? It is India. But then the scene shifted. The Shakti came, shifted to different areas. It went to Europe, Now we see Europe rose up, then it went to America, the new race. And then it's shifting back to Japan, India, because this is the cycle. This is the cycle which must be completed. And now we see once again the reawakening of India and the gift of India to the world. India's spiritual gift rather to the world. This is another thing which Shravindu spoke about which is happening. But most importantly, he spoke of a new race of a superhumanity of the future, though superhumanity um, is not always a very good term because we associate with you know, the Nietzschean superhumanity, people who are very powerful and you know, because this is how we think. But the superhumanity of the future is a deeply compassionate being. The sign of power, as we see in the life of Rama, Krishna, Shurabindo, Lord Shiva, the sign of ultimate power is supreme compassion. He who has tremendous power is deeply compassionate. And he who is weak is restless, violent. He wants to ransack everything because he is unsure of himself. So we see the superhumanity of the future which Sri and the mother spoke about will be a being who is deeply compassionate. This is one quality which is going to be there. And we see seats of such human beings. There is amidst all this cry and all this noise there is a kind of little voice which is beginning to speak that let us be more compassionate towards animals, towards other things. The people who are thinking like this, that maybe, you know, we, we lost our, the way we deal with nature, let's safeguard nature, let's save Mother Earth. All this is what? This is the sense of compassion going beyond. Uh, uh, frankly, we didn't know compassion, we had forgotten it. I mean, even in India, uh, 50 years back, 30 years back, what were we thinking about? My family, it's hardly compassion it is an animal instinct even animals look after the family but now we see human beings reaching out to larger larger groups larger groups and that compassion towards all that is in distress emerging so this is a new humanity which is going to emerge but there will be this emergence will be at two levels the first is the inner change of consciousness and mother spoke very clearly about it she said The future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness and the change is bound to come. Now, it is here that we have to be careful. We want to change systems. We want to change governments. We want to change organizations. But if we don't change our consciousness, it is not going to work out. Because as they say, that you make any amount of rules and laws, a lawyer, a good lawyer will find the little loophole in it And you will see a criminal go scot-free. Why? Because it's not the systems that must change first. It is man who must change first and the change of systems will be a consequence. So, Shurabindu and the mother stress a lot upon upon change of consciousness. The entire process of yoga which they gave to world, not, not just yoga as we understand today, but yoga is a change of consciousness entering into an accelerated mode from the human ego operating system to the soul operating system from the SOS to DOS, the divine operating system, this is human journey. So, this change of consciousness, the mother says, the future depends upon that. And But it is left and it is bound to come. She says that the future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness and the change is bound to come. So, then what do we do? She says, but it is left to men to decide. This is a choice we have to make. This is an evolutionary crisis and within it there is an evolutionary choice. We can choose to shrink in fear or we can choose to reach out with faith and trust in the future. So what is the choice, he says? But it is left to men to decide where the change, where they collaborate with the change or the change is thrust upon them by the power of crashing circumstances. So we see a whole world built around desire whole world whose entire operating system from the family to the nation to even larger sections of humanity was ego there is national ego there is family ego why should why did parents bring up a child not to become you know a hero warrior or to become a sage this was never in the agenda If a child ever said that, you know, five-year-old child, I want to become a hero warrior to fight the great battle of the future, parents will probably take him to a child psychiatrist. If he was ten and said, I want to become a saint or a sage, then they will say, probably you are hearing too many of these talks which are going to corrupt you. You first do your studies. Then he get does he study and says, mom and dad, do I have the permission? No, no, no. You have to grow up, get married, have children, everything. After that, mom, dad, do I have the permission? No, 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 no. You have to look after our, us aging parents. All our life we have brought you up. Now look at the whole paradox and irony. What is this? It is EOS. Straight ego operating system. Children, so that when I grow old, they will look after me. Is this why we bring children into the world? So beautifully, way back, the mystic in Lebanon, how beautifully he has said, Khalil Gibran, our children are not our children. They are like arrows of time. So, archer bends the arrow and sends it in the future. You don't fix their target. Be like the bow, supple. So that when the archer bends, who is the archer? Is the divine. When he bends the bow, he doesn't find it too rigid, nor too lax so that it breaks. But you don't decide the goal that is again decided by the divine. So, we are just... Trustees, this sense, it's specifically because, you know, educational institution, the whole orientation, this job, 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 money, job and money don't give security. We are seeing it today. Job and money doesn't give security, but there is something else which gives security. Job and money are required. Definitely they are needed for the framework of life. But how much is really needed for the framework of life? How much will really satisfy us? This is a need. Nobody can deny it. But need for the body. But as Christ says in the Bible, man does not live by bread alone. So we need something else. What about the spiritual hunger? It has been stifled. What about the emotional hunger? Because we have never attended to it. So now people satisfy this emotional hunger. They, they have these cravings because lack of love means lack of joy. So drugs and parties, we try to stop them from drugs and parties. That's not the way. Awaken the sense of beauty, awaken love in the heart. They won't need anything outer. So it is this from which humanity suffers. Now this need is going to assert itself. And it is asserting itself through ways which we had never imagined. Revolt in the youth. It is trying to break free from the EOS. It says, no, I don't want to live life according to what you decide. I want to live life according to what I decide. Now this I wish to say... Frankly, is a shift taking place from the ego, EOS. It is not the eye of just the ego. It is a way that individuals are trying to discover their own swadharma, which the Gita speaks of. Long back when Arjuna had this dilemma, that's what Sri Krishna says, decide, but not on the basis of society and norms and all this, but on the basis of what your inner truth says. This word adolescents use and I am so happy that says, they say, use this word. <clears throat> What I feel, Of course, they need to be guided towards what is true feeling, because it's a whole process. But to impose upon them an external structure of society or an external order which they must follow is collapsing, and will collapse. more and more it will collapse, because the entire ego-built structure, whether at the family level or national level, again, we see at the national level aggressive nationalism that is collapsing. But there is another kind of nationalism, which is Daivik type of nationalism. What is the type of nationalism? It doesn't expand beyond the boundaries. It brings out the best in a nation and gives it to the world. This is going to come up. This is the future, and every country should work towards that. So, we see through all this a subjective shift, a change which is taking place within humanity. It's declaring itself in children. Uh, More specifically, they want a new language. Now, children speak a new language. Many times, adults don't understand, they have quite new words. Because we need new words to understand. They are experiencing states which they can't describe in conventional language. So there is a shift in language. There is a shift the way they communicate. Through WhatsApp and internet, we don't want them to associate with. They are getting connected and hooked up with the whole world. We may not like it at present, but all this is indicative signs that there is an expansion of consciousness. There is an entry into subjective space. There is a changeover from EOS to an SOS, more soul-centric approach. And we see, above all, an intense thirst for spiritual things going on amidst all this. This is very evident. If we see last hundred years, more so fifty years, the number of… Right now, we may use the word spiritual shops… But they are not, uh, I mean, okay, they may sell products, but it's not about that. But why are people coming to the, all these places? Because there is a thirst. People want to know, they want to go beyond frames. Alternative medicine, holistic healing. Even during the corona pandemic, people are compelled that, well, anyways, let me try out homeopathy, let me try out yoga asanas, let me try out pranayam. So there is a need for a holistic orientation of life. We have missed out on certain aspects and most importantly, the spiritual aspect. So, we see a new emergence which may take another 100 years, 200 years, but hopefully not through pandemics, hopefully not through wars. But if we don't listen to this call, this future is decided. It's not decided today, it's not decided yesterday. It's decided because Sherbindu says the seed, the real idea, the supramental truth is sown into matter, it is bound to emerge. What has gone in is going to come out Computer parlance What has been put in will come out So What we have put into human consciousness 100 years, 200 years is not the real thing What has been put into creation We have a wonderful phrase from the Upanishad Eko ham bahushyami The one wanted to become many Who is this one? The divine, the divine truth Ananda, divine love Divine beauty, divine sweetness So this has gone into creation The original seed of creation is expressed by these great ancient mystic writings. But this seed has to grow in the womb of darkness. Now it is going to emerge into the light. So let us prepare for this future. And this future cannot be and will not be the old future. This much we know. There is a resetting. There is an inward shift. The virus has put us inside. It is helping us to think about Mother Earth, Mother Nature, how we are dealing with everybody. And it has has started making us connected with people in a different way. It's no more outwardly, we cannot visit, but inwardly, reaching out of the heart to heart. So, we have to now make this inward shift possible within us. And the more we have these individuals who will make this inward shift in discovery of We may not use the word soul, psychic being, terms are not important at all. But is there something deeper true? When there is all this world collapsing, when one of the things that this reminds us is, when we see such collapse that, look, this world we thought is so permanent. Of course, great beings have spoken about it, anityam, asukham. Is there something permanent in it? That started the journey of the Buddha. That is the great teaching of the Gita. It's not in the sense of illusion. But is there something more stable that endures? Or is everything illusion? Is there a more truer love, a deeper love? Is there a joy which will endure the rub and change of time? Is there a knowledge which is not prone to error? This is the direction in which we must emerge and we must search. Because we have seen the fast changing world where everything is changing. We should shift from the temporary to the permanent, not in the sense of rejecting the world, but bringing that permanence into everything. In every field, we have to bring a knowledge which, has, which is unerring. We have to bring a love that does not fade away within a few years. We have to bring it a, in a joy and peace that are not dependent upon any outward circumstances. And we are so grateful to Sherbindra and the mother that they have not only um, given us this foresight. They have assured us, promised us, worked for it and they have shown us the way by which we can move towards that. So let me just close with these few lines from Savitri, beautiful lines, they come in book 1, canto 4, the secret knowledge where a lot of such revelations are there and one of them, thus shall the mass transcendent mount his throne. Mass transcendent is the divine who is wearing the cape of darkness and up till now you are moving in darkness. But it is his throne. All of us, all the kings, ministers were trustees. Last 30 years, we are are being shown that nobody is infallible. Even a um, self-declared God, president of a country is in coma now. And you know, he is God, almighty supreme and everybody worshipped him. Everything was blanked out and he is in coma so we have this wonderful thing. I'll close with these lines. Thus shall the mass transcendent mount his throne when darkness deepens, strangling the earth's breast, and man's corporeal mind is the only lamp. As a thief's in the night shall be the covert tread of one who steps unseen into his house. A voice ill hurt shall speak, the soul obey. A power into minds in a chambered steel. A stealth of God. Compel the heart to bliss. And beauty conquered the resisting world. Beauty. Durga. Durga is mighty, but Durga is beautiful. That's why Mysasur wanted to marry her. We are missing upon it. Beauty of thought, beauty of speech, beauty of feelings, beauty of actions. If we just learn this one thing in life, beauty, the law of beauty... This world will be far, far, far better. We will be way ahead in our march, civilizational march, than through this analytical mind. Which reduces beauty into packets and bits and information because beauty is a wholeness. And beauty is something impersonal and universal. And beauty conquered the resisting world. This whole passage ends very beautifully. It says, God shall grow up while the wise men talk and sleep. Who is this God? The baby Krishna. It is the divine element within us. We may, like Kansa say, he doesn't exist. We may try to kill. There are various kinds of thoughts which say God is dead. Sometime back, there was a very big article. God is dead. The man has died. But the faith in God remains alive. So many civilizations, upheavals have taken Place. But the ancient aspiration of man The search for truth Unmixed truth For bliss For freedom For immortality In one word The Godhead Has survived all this All philosophies Atheistic This that have gone Crashed All religions Which declare God to be a certain formula They have come and gone But this core God shall grow up While the wise men talk and sleep For man shall not know the coming till its hour And belief shall be not till the work is done So with this glad news, happy news Thank you so much And uh, let's prepare ourselves for the beautiful future Yes, so there are a few questions I think they have already come And I will just quickly take them one by one And thank you sir for the beautiful kind words So, one of the questions is that, uh, sir, we know history provides a lot of data, how human beings are encountered because of unbalanced living, like Indus Valley civilization as well as a lot of civilizational damage. Then why now people are not concerned about to check our environment? Uh, Now due to pandemic nature as well as ozone layer is healing, so nature giving us a hint, but still why people are not aware of it? A simple answer is we are slow learners. Very slow learners, <laughs> because we are learning from the left brain. True learning must take, include the heart and the right brain. We have never activated it. So now, I am sure educational, uh, uh, you know, it's not the fault of people. It's the way education developed, centered around simply job and money and outer power. Now, this balancing being reset, I mean, uh, I am so grateful, Utkal University is one of those which is taking a lead, integral education and consciousness studies. So, uh, it will, the change will take place, uh, the, the good sign is there are people like you, the questionnaire and many others who are becoming aware. They are handful. So, let's put it like this, that there are majority who are still not learning, so they are learning through crashing circumstances. But there are some who feel the need of change from within, they may be handful, but eventually it is the handful of those who took the leap, who eventually uh, entered a a new state. So, uh, very good. So, I am just uh, going to the questions. Sir, according to new educational policy, I hope our education system is going to change. I think the change has begun already. I mean, I personally was very happy when I saw the new education system in draft in place. And trust me, it is not about politics or anything. Uh, the fact is, this new education policy, the latest one, is so much in tune with what Mother and Shurbindo have spoken about, which allows freedom, flexibility, plasticity. See, the, the institutions of the future they must allow freedom plasticity they cannot become very rigid structures so this is there it allows a kind of progress i mean i remember as a as a young student myself i wanted to take up philip uh, physics and philosophy they said it's impossible you take pbc or pcm there was no way now it's so strange i wish i was allowed physics philosophy literature along with biology and chemistry and appeared for medical college exam But this was not allowed. But now this is being allowed. Mark system is being replaced by a more deeper intrinsic assessment. So many good things are happening. But before students are compelled to focus on marks, unfortunately, run behind marks, again unfortunately, and compelled by parents to focus on memorizing. So, well… Uh, yes, everybody has to be blamed, but blaming doesn't do any good. We can blame parents, we can blame, uh, you know, educators, but the real blame is because our consciousness was not developed. We should understand that. See, it's not people are what they are because of the level of consciousness. Let me put it like this, that uh, a tiger eats a deer. Do we say that, you know, tiger is doing an evil thing? Tiger is a tiger, its consciousness is that. So, if we want to change things, neither blaming, criticizing or intellectually pouring new things will help. It is the change of consciousness. And change of consciousness must come from many sides. Most importantly, individuals. must awaken to the need of a change as individuals grow in number and come together there will be a pressure for the change to take place see this uh, integral education and uh, consciousness studies in utkal university there are other places also i know it has started what is it but the precede of a change was there any place like integral education and uh, consciousness studies anywhere in the world but last 50 years we see such changes taking place all over the world so this is how it will change Nations, including India, are growing with their arsenals. How do you see in the context of vision of spiritual humanity? Yes, this is a very great danger. And uh, without a doubt that the more arsenals we grow, the more dangerous it is. Definitely there is a tendency to push them. So there is a race going on right now. Unfortunately, it is because of the mistrust. You can't help it. Now you see in in the uh, Mahabharata, what does uh, Sri Krishna advise Arjuna? You get Pashupatastra. Why? Because there are opponents who have brahmastra. So, unfortunately, it has entered into a race because there are human beings who do have very dangerous weapons and it will be ill-advised at this juncture. See, even Japan, which has a military only for defense, has to ensure that they are not hit. So, it is very unfortunate. But let us uh, trust the future that eventually human consciousness will reach a point faster before... Some jokers blow out the world. So, this is what we can say. It is not a good thing to enter into arms race, but definitely a country must have enough to defend itself against all kinds of eventualities. And I think in that sense, India, as far as I know, I am from an AFO's background. So, this much I know that its defense system is more rooted towards defending itself, not towards territorial aggression. And that is something which every country must have. But there are nations which have gone towards aggression and they have, you know, multiplied their arsenals. But I am sure under a growing pressure of a change within, within those countries, who will change th- these governments? The, it is the responsibility of their own population, the people, to tell them that, look, it's fine that you, you need to develop weapons to safeguard us. But you can't divert the entire money towards that. There is something else which is also needed and when this cry will come, this cry is beginning to come and I am not going to focus into the details about it because some of these are uh, very classified information but I must say that this cry is coming up in countries, there is a great discontent, disconnect between the governments and the people and we must learn to distinguish that there are governments which are taking decisions to, for various reasons and the people who want something else again we need right now a strong defense system in today's world but at the same time we need this raising of voices that look we also need other things not just roti kapda makan but a growth of consciousness let us invest in that so this cry is beginning back to vedas a famous line by swami dayanand should vedas should be added in our second curriculum uh, Vedas are not a book Sounds very strange Vedas is, comes from the root With knowledge What is Vidya? Oneness So Vedas have given us seeds That what is the truth about creation What is the truth about world It has given us the greatest power Empowerment That in everything there is the uh, Seed of divinity The divine consciousness is in everything And I think if we pick up that and then start leading our life so children from childhood should be should grow up with this idea of divinity inside and one of the ideas about this divinity is very beautifully i mean today some friend of mine gave me a very a very interesting uh, mail correspondence so uh, i had uh, you know written that um, Uh, i mean i had shared there are people who have a problem and how to bring up children and all this because you know children are exposed to many influences all kinds of influences so what should be done so uh, she said something very beautiful she said see you can't stop all these influences you can't monitor all this but what you can do is to teach the child that look try to connect to your heart and know what's Telling you there about what is right and wrong. And if we develop this without bringing the mental concepts, and I said the sense of beauty, children tomorrow will reject whatever is untrue. So, Vedas are in the heart of human beings. And children of the future must learn to connect with this Veda within. It doesn't matter whether we introduce Vedas in curriculum or not. I have seen uh, a whole Buddhist monastery where they teach all the teachings of the Buddha. And a 14-year-old child telling me, that I want to learn meditation, not from me, they have the way of meditation, so I asked him why, at this young age, you want to learn meditation. He said, "Sir, because if I learn meditation, I have a chance to go to America, because you know <laughs> that 's how it is. so it 's no point teaching Vedas that way, and then, after Vedic studies, we look for a job. What is important is to get the essence of the Vedas. We need teachers. Who get the truth of the Vedas Live it in their heart And transmit it to the children That's what Shirvindu said He said recover the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Gita In your heart, in your life It's no point just you know Getting into outward There is nothing wrong If there are people who are interested in knowing outwardly It's perfectly fine But the recovery must take place here We have lost the Vedas in the heart And we are trying to recover it in the head you know, we have lost it here. It reminds me of a story of Mulla Nasiruddin that where is the candle? Uh, where is the needle lost? So um, he says, lost in that dark spot. Why are you searching it under the lamp? Because light is here. So he says, take the light there. It is lost there. That's what Sri says that he is lost in the heart, in the cavern of nature. He is found in the head, where he brain, where he builds up the thought. It's a very long process we have undertaken. But there is a short process in the heart where the divine decides. That's where the Vedas are. So this is what we have to teach the children that there is a divine uh, truth inside. There is a divine consciousness in everything. Disinvest of all names. We need not use names. It is enough to know that there is a perfect consciousness, a truth consciousness. That's how the Vedas spoke. Why should we be lost and fight over names and traditions and customs? This is enough that there is a true consciousness, a beautiful consciousness, a perfect consciousness within us which we must connect with. So, this is the, about the recovery of the Vedas. Present, we see aggressive growth of religions. It will collapse. Surely... Religions and ideologies stand on the same ground. Ideologies which oppose religion and religions which oppose ideologies are in fight with it, eventually will collapse. But the difference is religions at least believe that there is something beyond. This is a good part of religion. There are ideologies which don't believe. But there are other ideologies which though are not religious, still carry seeds of spirituality. Because they want this world to become a perfect place, but they don't have the understanding about a greater consciousness and spiritual consciousness. So both were necessary at a stage of human evolution. Now we have to discover that it is not religion and ideology, but by the discovery of the spiritual consciousness, the divine consciousness within us and around us. So they were like props needed, they are going to go away. Indian culture is not religions. Indian culture is a spiritual seeking. I can assure this that let every other culture, whatever may happen, because it has got too much embroiled into, because the spiritual seeking finished. See, when any culture is based on one book, one person, it finishes. But in Indian culture, even if everything else collapsed, all the books vanished, just one book. I am not even speaking of the Gita. I am speaking of a still shorter book. And not even of the book. One shloka of that book, Isha Upanishad, is enough to rebuild everything. What does it say? Isha vasya midam sarvam yat jagatyam jagat. I mean, this one line has inspired me so much. Everything is meant for the habitation of the Lord. This one line can save humanity. Indian culture is so deep, profound, mighty. Traditions... Will change It is not about And traditions must always evolve In all cultures And uh, those that do not They will be destroyed It's a question of just time So future of Indian culture Is not only beautiful It is going to show the light to the world Being spiritualistic May control the ego system Yes of course True spirituality This is what it's going to bring in All the problems Greed Market forces Falsehood Fear, where does it come from? From ego. I mean, it's all diseases can be traced back to the ego. So, what is the corrective? The soul operating system. Now, we have in between a sattvic ego, which people try to create a balance. But sattvic ego is always precarious. So, we must bring in the spiritual element that is the real cure. Our God in one for all human beings, but people always fight for religion. I would suggest <laughs> let them fight. <laughs> let them fight and <laughs> destroy each other. Let us focus on this beautiful emergence. And again, yes, I am as concerned about Indian culture and Indian spirit as any other Indian But let us understand Indian culture, Indian religion is not a book or many books, not a person or many persons. Indian culture is that seeking for the light, for truth, which is beyond all books. What does the Gita say? Shabda brahmati vartate. Let us go beyond the written and the spoken word. So in Indian culture, written and spoken word is a beginning for something else. Also, it is needed because... The truth must manifest at every level. So festivals, ceremonies, all these are part of that. But we must bring back this original truth and with that, infuse a new spirit into everything we do, including all our traditions and customs. So, we pity on impoverished, but have never come out of our homes to help them. I think the greater poverty is not outside, but inside. Have we thought why people are poor? People are poor because we are poor inside in our consciousness. We want to fill our pockets and don't care to share it. The disease is inside. Poverty is a spiritual illness. And when we correct it here, we will see that a more equitable distribution of wealth. Not as the communist ideal which is outward, which is based minus the spirit, but on divine communism which Rama, Krishna and Shurabindu speak about. On the sense of secret sympathy with all, oneself in all beings. Why don't uh, we do share our wealth with our uh, family, also with friends? What when we discover that the world is one family? Know it as a living truth, not just as a Vasudev Putumbakam, but living truth. We will share it very naturally and spontaneously. So, I think the time is… I'll just quickly um, see if anything… Yeah, okay so we have just two questions quickly i'll take and then please feel free to write if there are more questions and more detailed this thing discussion is required my email is easily available on aroma and uh, or you can write to aroma and uh, the 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 letter will reach okay so this one is another well, i didn't understand this and selfishness and ego And selfishness and ego. No, there is no. The answer to selfishness and ego is not uh, selfishness and ego, but it is, let me put play upon the words, since it's a play upon the word. From the small self to the greater self. So, there is a selfishness of the small s, which is the ego. There is a selfishness of the greater self, living for the greater divine self. And then we will see our decisions will be right Because we will no more act based on either my own or my group's interest But in the interest of the greater self But deer makes two feet distance from tiger because of the nature of survival Have you noticed something very interesting about tiger and deer since it is mentioned? You see, tigers. Uh, I mean the question is not there But let me make another observation The interesting part is that tiger is much more powerful than a deer So is the cheetah. Not only powerful, it actually can run much faster. But since it is mentioned nature, have we observed that tiger and cheetah are dwindling species and deer is multiplying? So this idea of nature purely from the point of view of external nature is false. As I started in the beginning, within nature there is a wisdom which is operating. Now, this whole idea of nature is wonderful, provided we understand nature is not just mechanical unconscious nature, which is somehow evolving, that itself is an oxymoron, that uh, dust is evolving into man somehow. This, before reading any works of uh, Sri Aurobindo and the Mother, I used to wonder how people can so even foolishly think that there is nothing divine inside. It's so strange, dust to man, just like that. Chance, random accidents, even recently uh, the great physicist nobel laureate he was saying that people have a tendency biologists to use the word chance because they want to just cover up ignorance chance is a word to cover up ignorance we don't understand that there is a pragya is the right word a consciousness which is instinct with wisdom and with will the superconscious we may use any term is in nature If we look at nature from long term, not just the survival of deer and um, tiger, look at the sloth, the mastodon, the dinosaur, they have vanished from this earth. It is interesting. Species, human beings who fought with each other, Neanderthals, the uh, Australopithecus, Cro-Magnon, they all vanished to give birth to a Humanity today that we can think, want to plan We all sit together in a common aspiration This is the result of nine subspecies vanishing So this is how we have to look at nature in its totality And finally Is eating non-veg decides that we are merciless No, 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 please Beautiful question, it is not a silly question Hitler was pure vegetarian I think if, if this explains, gives answer It is not about non-veg. It is about the state of consciousness. I am not saying that, you know, eating veg or non-veg, that's that's a different discussion. What is healthy? But not mercy. Eating vegetarian food has to do with health. Certainly our bodies are more geared to eat vegetarian food and it's good to become vegetarian. It comes naturally. But eating non-veg is not a sign of merciless. What is the sign of merciless is to kill, you know, even in non-witch food, there was a debate going on recently and I'm glad this debate took place. How do we kill an animal? I don't want to get into this debate, you know. (laughs) You can kill an animal in a very painful, cruel way and you can kill an animal, at least give it a safe death, at least give it a death which is, you know, it is being done for the pleasure of the palate but at least it should be like a offering and not in a very, a true offering, not in the way of a Cruel, painful death because, why? Because it it will satisfy the palate more Because of the bleeding and all that So the way we deal with the animal world With human beings, with neighbours, with plants Even plants have life So if we just mercilessly plunder and hoard Definitely we are being merciless and cruel But if we deal with plants, we pray to them We ask them for the yields that give us more yield Give us, you know, because there is a consciousness in everything. That is the Veda. That's what the Veda teaches us. And we pick out certain things. We've, we, you see, in Indian culture, what was there? When we eat, doesn't matter wedge or non-wedge, we start by offering it. Offering it to whom? To the one divine consciousness from whom everything has come. So, this state of consciousness is important. Veg, non-wedge has health Relevance, but not so much relevance from the point of view of consciousness. As consciousness evolves, certain changes, certain habits will drop off. But if we are eating with greed, if we are destroying with impunity, whether it be plant life or whether it be animal life, we are being cruel and merciless. Not only towards animals, towards plants, we can be merciless. We can be merciless towards mountains. Look what happened in the famous uh, tragedy. uh, Uttarakhand, Mandakini River in spate. And I had written a whole article, Kedarnath, everything was drowned that time. What we were doing? We were cutting mountains as if they are non-living beings. So we were cutting mountains and making houses there. Like we have wounds on the body. So one day the mountain decided to heal itself. There were cascades, houses fell. And who cleansed? Mandakani, the Ganges. And she cleanses the blood flow. And she cleansed everything, and yes, people died. But nature doesn't work keeping in mind that how many uh, people have died of coronavirus and that. Nature works to bring out the wisdom which is within it. So, even if we deal with non living things, that's why we have Bhumi Pujan, that's why we have pravesh, All these things have a meaning that when we enter a land, we do Bhumi Pujan, that this Bhumi made belong to the divine. I may have the Patta transfer in my name. But it belongs to the divine. So I must behave in such a way that this house belongs to the Lord, is consecrated to the Lord. This was the meaning that everything belongs to the Lord. So let us live with this state and this beautiful saying from the ancient scriptures, which is yet going to shape the future of humanity. Thank you so much.